everyone. Welcome to Better Hiring, a podcast by Workable. As a marketing manager at Workable, if there was one thing I had to choose as my absolute favorite part of my job, it would be learning from the folks who are challenging the status quo and moving the recruitment industry forward. That's why we're here today. This podcast is a space for the leaders who are driving this progress to share their real, honest experiences in overcoming challenges and moving the hiring industry forward. And of course, to bring you the latest tips, trends, and strategies to help you find a path to better hiring. In this episode, you'll hear from Andrew McLeod, CEO of Certain. As job openings are soaring, finding qualified candidates is getting harder than ever. Or is it? To help us all out, Andrew is going to share Certain's unique approach to hiring, particularly how they make the most of their existing candidate pool, no matter how small, via reskilling and upskilling. Let's jump in. I see we already have um, quite a few people tuned in. So welcome to everyone who's joining us live. Um, I'm Carolyn from Workable, and I'm joined today by Andrew McLeod, who's the CEO and co-founder of Certain. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And we're talking about a cool topic um, that we've actually been hearing uh, about a lot from our customers. We've been talking about it in our content, and I know that you're doing some pretty cool stuff over at Certain. Um, so just to kind of jump into that, right now, attracting a high volume of candidates is harder than ever. We're seeing it all over the place. We're hearing about candidate shortage, we're hearing about talent shortage, um, and we're just seeing that that lower volume of applicants. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're not attracting qualified candidates. We just might have to be looking at them in a different way. And in this, uh, the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about looking beyond the work experience. So. Um, I know certain has a really interesting way of hiring that can be a bit more efficient and effective. And that's kind of the skills based and like culture fit approach to hiring. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about certain? Sure. Uh, my name is Andrew McLeod and I'm the CEO of certain. I like to joke that I've never had a real job because um, I've been starting companies for, for a long time and, Tackling the challenges of uh, of of talent for uh, for as long as I can remember, ever since my first business that I started when I was seventeen, and uh, fortunate to be the CEO of Certain. I started the company with uh, with my two best friends back in twenty seventeen, and uh, now we are one of the larger background check companies, and we're really focused on building trust. So the foundations of certain are how do we build trust between consenting individuals and businesses? Um, today, we're 150 people in eight countries speaking 16 languages. And uh, we serve small and medium-sized businesses all the way up to some of the world's largest companies all over the world. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, Certain's an awesome company. And it's very cool to see how much you've grown this, especially recently. Um, and you mentioned that you've never technically had a real job because you just keep kind of founding these companies and growing them. So I guess that's probably a good place to start is, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what have you learned about hiring in general throughout your career? So much. I think the most important thing I, I've learned though, is that somebody's resume isn't the most important thing that you can take from your interaction with them and that culture is really important. 
I've hired some of the smartest people in the world that were a terrible culture fit and got nothing. And I've hired some people that had no relevant experience, but the right qualities who have been, who have outperformed anyone in their field because of their drive and their dedication. And that's something that I feel that I've mastered or, you know, as close to mastered as you possibly can, because it's a bit of an art, um, you know, more so than a science. And that has led to, to some really great companies and has led to a lot of success we've had here at certain. Yeah. Like at, at what point um, in your career did you start realizing that? Like what, what was your original approach to hiring and like, what were some of the experiences you had that led you to, you know, there are different ways that we can approach this. I think it's, I think it's kind of a, a swing, you know, in, in startups or, you know, for small, medium sized businesses, you'll probably have experience with this where you start, trying to hire the cheapest possible people you know you're you're weighing the cost benefit analysis of like should i hire this person or not and then you know you're looking at who's going to be the most affordable and you know you know you're really trying to maximize bang for your buck or in some cases like you know when i first started when someone wanted to work for me that was like that was pretty much all they needed in order to to be able to work for me and uh and i've learned a lot since then because I also over rotated. Um, you know, later at, in other companies, I had looked at talent from a I need to hire the best person in the world at this based on a certain metric, and that also backfired because I ended up spending a lot of money on people that came from big companies that couldn't handle the smaller companies because your scope of work in a big company and your resources are so much greater. And then coming into a smaller company, it's really hard to, you know, run a sales team with two other people and not having the sales support operations or run an engineering team without like, you know, four layers of engineers and designers and all that type of stuff. And so in certain and also, you know, through certain's journey, I've, I've really learned that there's, there's a really fine balance with finding the best people and not always based on their resume and definitely not by the amount that they would require to work for you on the <laughs> too low or too high scale. I like that. Yeah. How much I value myself really shows, you know, how skilled I am. It's true. It's true. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I imagine like someone in your position, you kind of have to maybe learn that a little bit the hard way, but it's kind of like a, a new approach to hiring that definitely exists out there. Um, but it, it takes a little bit of practice and, and skill to put that into play. So I guess starting on like the skill side and thinking about how do we find that sales leader who is going to be able to be a little bit versatile and like have have those two employees, like what does that look like? Like throughout the hiring process, are there questions that you ask? Are there assessments that are like part of the process? Like how do you look at these candidates to think about those um, like qualifications? So I, I look at it from a culture first perspective. So in a lot of times that we're doing interviews, especially you know in early days where I was interviewing people first, the first interview was was almost like having a beer with a friend. So what I like to do in the in COVID, it's been a little bit different because you're not actually having beers, and certain is based in Victoria, BC, which you know we're not the talent hub of the world, so we hire people all over the place. But that first Zoom meeting or that first virtual meeting is like just having a chat and talking about stuff that is not super relevant to the job, but I want to get to know the person. You know, my, my famous question is like, 
birth till now, tell me about yourself. And if work experience falls into your identity, talk about that, but tell me just about you. And you start to pick up on, on interesting things about people and their capabilities by the way that they're talking about what they've done, who they are, the things that they're passionate about. And then you can start tying that back to their work experience. So, you know, for example, if you're looking for a salesperson, I typically try and get to, you know, times where they've won. With salespeople, I find one of the one of the best traits of a salesperson is someone who's who's quite competitive, who's quite hungry, but also knows how to play on a team. So I find, you know, listening to their experiences in group sports. So if they played, you know, soccer or hockey or football or whatever to talk about their team experience and you know where they felt they fit on that team. You know, when it comes to engineers, we talk about, you know, even the most junior ones, like how did they solve a problem? Engineering is probably the most interesting one because you have people that have, you know, advanced degrees in computer science to people that have taken a, you know, coding boot camp to people that are self-taught. And how do you grade people who don't have an advanced degree in computer science but were self-taught and might actually be superior to those who, you know, went to a, a high-priced university to get a degree in computer science? And you can often pull that out in culture and their willingness to learn outside of just the job. And that's where you start to see people whose careers progress exponentially faster than those who are like, I've got a master's in computer science, so I deserve a seven figure salary because I did this school mm. and I didn't learn anything outside of school. Yeah, I, I think that approach is really cool, especially you know, where culture kind of comes into play because it's a mix of, at least for certain culture and skills, because you're approaching it in the way that you want somebody to fit in and be able to kind of function in the culture, but also have those skills that will allow them to develop as an employee. Um, so for like software engineers, are there assessments or, or like, um, I guess, like take home tests or anything like that? Like, do you utilize actual like pragmatic processes to look into these people's skills? Or is it more of like the conversations that you have in the interviews? So we, we definitely have, we have real life testing. You know, we'll, we'll do a code assessment, especially if you're hiring a, a senior engineer or, you know, someone at the senior to, you know, VP or director level, like definitely, mm -hmm. You need to assess their skills, you know, make sure that they're fluent in your tech stack, you know, make sure that they understand not only how to build, but how to teach. Um, but you hire fewer of those. Well, you're, we hire a lot more senior engineers um, than say, you know, managers or directors, but it's kind of that, like that sweet spot of junior to intermediate where you start to learn about how quickly somebody can learn. So you're really assessing their ability to learn quickly just as much as their ability to code because if you're you know a junior dev that's come out of a boot camp you're not going to know everything that you need to know but if you learn quickly you mm -hmm. you quickly join the ranks I, I, we've got a really good example in here um one of our team leads uh he worked for his dad's company he taught himself to code he didn't know our programming languages that we use here, but I met him in this first interview, probably the second interview, because you know one of our team members had the first interview and said, you've got to meet this guy. 
he wants to join our our team. You know, he's a dev. He's really smart. He's really driven. Doesn't know our our tech stack, and also has like has no experience except he worked for his dad's company. Uh, met this guy and was immediately impressed by his willingness to learn. We brought him in in a customer support role and said, you know, you can learn our stack, um, and then you know work your way into an engineer. And this guy rocketed through the company. Like his willingness to learn outside of work had him within the first three months teaching people that had been doing had been programming in these languages and doing this type of thing for you know, five years, we're now learning from this junior engineer, you know, like he, I think he went to school for like psychology or something like that. And then, you know, learn to learn to code. And, uh, and I knew, I knew that he would be successful because of his personality, because he had a drive to win. He was like really involved in team sports and extracurriculars, you know, beyond just, just, working all the time and he knew how to multitask and you know be involved in multiple things and he's just he's become an all-star that's so cool that's a really cool example and it reminds me that there like this is a pretty wide conversation of just you know trying to help people figure out maybe when you don't have that huge amount of candidate inflow that maybe we were seeing during the pandemic like, how do we actually fill these roles with people who are going to do really well, especially some of like these senior positions? And it reminds me earlier this year in January, we hosted Josh Burson, who is an industry analyst and it's pretty much just he lives in the data of hiring an HR. And we hosted him because we were wondering what is supposed to happen after this pandemic? Because, I mean, those are questions I'm sure you're asking, like we're asking at Workable, our customers are asking. So we're like, if anybody knows, it's probably Josh. Um, and he came out with a lot of really interesting predictions. And one of them was that there would be, of course, a big hiring surge around this time in 2021. A lot of these service-based roles, a lot of these software engineers would be really high in demand. And he predicted that um, upskilling and reskilling would become a really important focus for companies because when you're really trying to compete for these high-level software engineers or these like really skilled uh, talent roles, uh, you want to start thinking about how can you look at your internal talent pool or in the case of your example, bringing somebody in at like a customer service role where their skills can immediately be applied and then upskilling them from there. And I think that's something that's kind of new for company for a lot of companies to think about. But that's a really good example of that being in action. Your talent is the most important part of your entire company. And if you can keep them interested in doing the things that they like to do and training them, it is way cheaper. I mean, you look at the average cost to hire, like especially an engineer. You know, if we were to have hired this person, it probably would have cost in the role he's in today, 30, 40,000 just in like recruiter fees and like, you know, not to mention the amount of time that it would ha have to take us to get him up the ramp. Mm -hmm. I could pay for him to do two degrees. <laughs> you know, like I could pay for him to do two degrees here in Canada. And so, you know, I think, I think it's, it's very much true that you need to focus on your talent and you need to focus on, on building from within. And if you're building a great culture and you're, you know, giving people that mobility, you're going to have very little churn and you're going to build a, a great team and a great culture. And we found that, and that's actually led to a couple of cool things. Um, 
I think one is is having a really unique culture. You know, certain's never been referred to as a cult or anything like that. But we have a group of people that, although um, culturally diverse and geographically dispersed, some of the the closest people I have ever met. I mean, I joke that I've I've got like 150 of my best friends that work here, and literally, I I, I love hanging out with each and every person on our team. But that's also led to our team referring people. So our 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 funnels of talent. Not only are they full because people are attracted to our culture, but 85% of the employees at certain have referred a friend or a family member to work at certain. That is huge. Like, yeah. that is huge. And not that we've hired every single person that they've referred, but like we have had some incredible referrals from people on our team that that person never would have thought about leaving their job if they didn't see the experience that someone on our team was having with certain and that's like super important yeah that's yeah 85 percent is a massive number and i that's like a good segue into actually talking about a certain's culture a little bit more because it makes a lot of sense that your culture fosters these people who have the skill set to function within a company like certain um but i know that uh just a challenge for a lot of companies out there, especially companies that have gone remote or gone hybrid who are trying to figure out like, what is my culture? How do I foster that? Like, what does it look like? It looks like it, it's different for every company and it's whatever culture you create is going to attract the employees that you want to work here. And then the ideal situation is they come in and they're able to function and feel rewarded by the people that they work with and the kind of culture that, you know, they spend eight hours of their day working within. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about certain's culture and like, what does that actually look like in action? Like how did this culture grow? Like do you have values, like all that stuff? Definitely. So certain's culture is unique. We're remote first. You know, we were founded here in Victoria, British Columbia. But as I mentioned, you know, we've, we've got people all over the place. We've got clients all over the place. And when uh, Owen, Evan, and I started certain, we were really focused on making sure that we brought in the best people for us, you know, for, for our team. And we built a team that gave us that feeling of, you know, the sports teams we were on when we were younger, where, you know, we were all, we were all playing different positions, but all driving towards the same goal of success. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't hiring people who were really great individual players, but worked really well as a team. And that's how we were going to build a team for success. And we also acknowledged that there is a world of talent out there that is not based in Victoria, BC, which does not choose to live in Victoria. They might live in Pennsylvania or Florida or San Francisco or Montana or, or Mexico, you name it, you know, they could live anywhere. And we wanted to really embrace that. And, you know, COVID forced everyone to go remote, including us even more so. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that brought on challenges. But I think the, the important piece is that culture starts from, from the people you hire at the beginning and can be, can be hurt if you, can't, if you can't train your people or, or find people that embody your culture to hire other people that embody that same culture because that's that's your biggest risk and yeah you know like we we've got like our our five pillars of culture and you know the documentation and all that kind of stuff 
But that's just BS if nobody actually believes it or that's not actually your culture because I can put five inspirational things on a wall and have you know the 149 other people work here that work here be like, that's not true. So our culture is, is, is interesting because you know we're, we're trying to build the best place to work for our people. You know, not that we're the best place to work in the world, although that is a goal of ours. We wanna be the best place to work for our people. So, you know, what does that mean from a culture perspective? And the most important part for us, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on camera, but like number one rule at certain is no So in our hiring process, like that is our number one core value that is published. It's very polarizing, <laughs> but it's really important because that is, that's what, what kills culture. And you can come from anywhere or be anything or you know be anyone. And that is like the one thing that you will find at certain from like the newest employee to me and everyone in between that like we are not that thing. You know, we embody what is not that thing. And we treat our, our team members as family and our customers as our close friends. So that is like, that's kind of the next piece of our culture that we're all here for the ride and we want to enjoy our time here and we want to work hard and we want to push each other. But at the same time, like we're working with people that we love and that we want to be successful both internally and with our partners and our customers. I love that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, when you said, I don't know if I could say this on air. I was like, Oh no, what's he going to say? But that, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> There's going to be a beep. <laughs> No, it really, it really does. And as they say, one apple can spoil the bunch and it's very true. And it, it stinks. Like they say, like, what is the cost of a bad hire? It can be very, very costly. You can lose other really great employees if you don't make those, the correct decisions. I've, I've lost hundreds of thousands in hard cost from one bad employee. And if you include the soft cost, probably millions from, mm -hmm. from one bad employee. And, you know, all it takes is that scar to learn. And it, it's, you only have to do it once. Although most of us, like, I'm not going to say that I've only done it once a couple of times, never as big as like the one big one, but that's when you learn, you know, that's, that's where you learn to invest in people. And, and for me, one of my close friends, is a guy named Steve Cadigan, who is head of talent at LinkedIn and, what he did at LinkedIn was so incredible. And that's why, you know, he's been, he was our first independent board member. He's been involved mm -hmm. in every company that I've been involved in because we need to make sure that we're taking people and culture seriously. Um, you know, we need to make, I need to make sure that it's not just me that's bought into this philosophy, but it's that, you know, everybody on the team firmly believes it as like a, a as a core competency. And Steve actually did a really an amazing job and his he wrote a book recently that was published called Workquake, um, which has been incredible in talking about that shift uh, from you know the the regular world into COVID and then back again. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'll I'll have to look that up. And it all this stuff makes a lot of sense in theory. Like when when you actually have these interviews happening, how do you evaluate for you know, if they're going to fit into this, in, into this culture, into certain's culture. So, I, I mean, it's, it's evaluating on a number of different principles and depending on the job, um, it's, it, it varies a little bit, 
But I think the most important thing is that in certain there, we have a culture interview for every person that we hire and culture has a veto. So I'm not always the culture interviewer. In fact, I'm more often than not, not the culture interviewer anymore. Um, and we actually have culture, culture interview training. So we have people that are, are, you know, they're not VPs, they're not directors that are, are certified culture interviewers here at certain. And we actually had, you know, we, we, we recently hired a CTO, which we're really excited about. Um, you know, we hired, we've hired some senior level people where there's junior people that were the culture interview and they were vetoing a lot of really qualified candidates from really great companies based on things like how they feel about diversity and inclusion in the workplace or, you know, how they feel about uh, the way they interact with other people or, you know, all of those things that are really important to our culture that makes somebody not an a-hole and make somebody, you know, accountable to the team and make somebody, someone that you genuinely want to spend time with. And I think that's like, that's been crucial to our success so far. And the reason why we haven't had much churn. Yeah, that is so cool. I've been doing this for a little over three years and talked to a lot of really interesting people like you who are doing a lot of cool things with hiring. But this is the first time I've heard about actually training somebody to evaluate for culture. Do you like, have you documented this? Like, are there questions that they ask or are you like trusting their opinion? Like, how do you, like, how did you even set this up? So, so we had, we had rough guidelines um, early on that, that we, you know, we tried to ask for a lot of it was trying to keep it conversational because you don't really get a sense of somebody when, you know, you've got a list of questions and you're like, um, <laughs> sorry, I got to go to the next question because then you're in an interview where yeah. culture, culture can easily be faked in an interview when you're just looking for certain responses. Um, Lisa, who's our head of, uh, head of people and culture here, you know, when she came on, we really codified that and we put together a training process for people internally who are interested in interviewing and interested in culture to be able to, you know, have a set of questions, have a, a, a criteria for how you evaluate somebody based on culture that's that's fair and equitable and not just like, oh, I, I don't think this person is, is a good culture fit. Um, but typically these people are like, you know, the reason why they're doing this is because we trust their judgment on culture fit. Um, and we try and do it like, it's a very, it's very, it's, it's very unbiased um, in, in how we, in how we do the process because our culture takes many forms and there are a few core things that have to be true. Um, and we're looking for a diverse team you know, we've got a very diverse team. So there are a few cultural attributes that like that need to be true. And, uh, and it's I mean, it's been so successful. I mean, the, the initiative has been incredible. And it's, it's pretty cool to think like, a junior person on our team vetoed, you know, a CTO hire from one of the largest companies in the world that I, you know, I shall not mention the company's name. Because their views on on diversity and inclusion weren't in line with how we feel at certain and their you know their views on um on maturing talent weren't how we felt at certain yeah 
that speaks volumes, but it's very cool to see that in action and encouraging too, for people who, you know, might be thinking about joining CERN's team. I mean, it's like your voice matters and we trust you. Big time. Well, I mean, trust is the foundation of our business internally and externally. Now, our philosophy is not to find criminals in, you know, your hiring process. Like our philosophy is how do you build trust between a business and an individual in a way that's fair and inclusive. And we can't say that as a company and then not do it internally. And I yeah. think that's, that's really important. And for those that want to come work for certain, you know, we want them to feel safe and comfortable and, you know, have the ability to be themselves and enjoy what they're doing. Because if you don't like your job, you're probably going to suck at it or just be really miserable. And we don't want that. I don't want that. Because if you're yeah. miserable, other people are miserable. Like, at the very least, love the people that you work with and work towards doing the thing that you want to do. Because sometimes you want to be an engineer, but you don't have any experience and you need to get experience at the tech company. Let us help you do that. We'll pay for your education. We've got like a, you know, we've got a program for that. Oh, um, cool. Or learn on the job. It's, it's, it's all about finding great people because it, a great team can do anything. Strong individuals can do some things. But at the end of the day, I'd bet on a great team versus, you know, a group of strong individuals any day. Yeah, so true. And what we, what you were saying, I mean, it's clear that certain has, you know, you value DEI and an inclusive hiring process. I think that hiring for culture is so interesting and, and it makes a lot of sense. But I've also heard the argument that, you know, if workable is hiring for culture is that putting us at risk for hiring people who look like us and people who talk like us and that kind of thing. Like what, it, what does that look like at, at certain and like, does it promote inclusivity? Like what, what is it? Absolutely. I mean, culture has nothing to do with the color of your skin, your religion, your, you know, where you were born, nothing like that. It, there's, there's no part of that that is, is culture. Um, in my opinion, you know, there's, there's your personal culture and, you know, what you do outside, but in terms of work culture, like those things are, are additive to our culture and really important because they're bringing different views. And it's all about like, you know, making sure that people that we hire are embracing those views because we've got people from all over the world, all different walks of life, different lifestyles. And we benefit from that. And if someone joins the organization that doesn't benefit from that, that's, that's really bad um, for our culture and for our team. And it makes, you know, it makes for an awkward experience. So we're not looking for like, does this person practice yoga or like, you know, is this person a, you know, uh, a Canadian born in like a specific time period or place, you know, we're, we're looking for people that, that are, open-minded and excited and, you know, driven to succeed and, you know, that believe in a better future and, you know, all of those types of things that like not only make the world a better place, but make certain a better place. Um, and that's got nothing to do with like the way somebody looks or acts or the way somebody looks or like the things that they believe. Um, it's, it's really about, it's really about like, is this person awesome to spend time with? And, <laughs> You got to do that foundationally. You got you to make sure foundationally that like the people that are assessing that aren't aren't biased because that right. unconscious bias is a real thing. Um, you and you've got to train it. You've got to train people to recognize their unconscious bias. 
And you've got to really trust the people that are in this position because it is, it is, it doesn't matter what level of seniority you are. It is the most important thing that you can do. Like a, like a culture interviewer is the most important part of that interview process. And that's why they get a veto and we take it really seriously. That's cool. It, it sounds like it's kind of the mix of your culture has to speak for itself and that it is an inclusive culture that is valuing these skills and these, you know, maybe not tangible elements of who a person is, but that they're going to be a successful member of this team. And it doesn't mean they all have to be the same exact person, but then also, like you said, unconscious bias is a real thing. And that's probably like those two things go hand in hand and in evaluating somebody for your culture and for their skill set, And then also, you know, doing that training and doing that work around unconscious bias so that we're sure those things aren't still creeping up through the process. It's, it's really important because, you know, culture training is one thing, you know, training someone to evaluate culture, you know, you can build a program around that, but things like diversity and inclusion training are also part of being given that responsibility to make sure that you you're aware. I mean, it's everywhere. Nobody's perfect, but we need to be as close to perfect as we could possibly be, especially in the people that we trust to have this, like they need to be very self-aware, you know, they need to make sure that they're, you know, they're checking their biases at the door and, and bring on great people. And now, we have the best people in the world. So like the process, like, you know, there are risks, but the rewards have been plentiful for us, um, you know, both in attracting talent and retaining talent and the types of people that we brought in. Very cool. And then I guess digging a little bit more into, you know, what does your culture actually look like? And what are these like skill sets that you actually look for in the culture? like? Like, what does certain's culture actually look like? Like, is there a level of integrity or, you know, work ethic, um, these kinds of things? Like, are there actual, like, tangible elements that you look for? Definitely. And, I mean, it's it's part of our core values where, you know, um, accountability and ownership are two of the, of the pillars that we have within our culture and with what we look for. Every person that you meet at certain is an owner. So everybody's got equity, which is, is really important because it also means that everybody has a vote. It also means that anyone at the company can call me out, which I think is really important because I don't, I, I mean, I've been given the CEO title, but I don't always know the right answer. I might say it with a lot of confidence, but like, it's important that everybody on our team has ownership and authorship where they've got a voice. And I think that's a lot different than other companies where you know, you're as an engineer, you might just be polishing somebody else's code. Here, when you see something, you can say something and you know, you've got a voice and a vote. And then you've also got accountability. So that's one of the things culturally that we look for are people that aren't going to blame somebody else. Like, if you see a problem, how do we fix it? Like, we're a team, you know, you don't see, you don't see, uh, you know, Tom Brady going, well, my receivers aren't good. So you know, I, I, I can't win. Like he's going to be working with management or working with that, those receivers or, you know, doing whatever he can to make sure that whatever team he's playing for wins a Super Bowl. Um, it's, it's a really important, probably sensitive for, you know, the new Englanders, but it's, it's a really <laughs> important part of culture that the people that you bring on embody that and that they're, they're looking out for, 
the best interest of the company and also their best interest as owners. Because you don't want to you don't have your your name tied to something that that sucks. That's yeah. that, that's the worst. Um, and if you've got ownership, like that's that's what you have. You know, you your name is behind this. And I think I speak for most Sertonians. You know, when I say that, like they feel because they do like this is their company. And yeah, they're making it. Yeah, that is a shift in perspective. And would you mind sharing like all five uh, pillars just for anybody out there who's like thinking about like a lot of a lot of companies have gone through this kind of shift of all right, post pandemic. We actually do need a strong culture that isn't just that office culture or like the social life that people get there. It's actually something more meaningful. Um, so obviously, like this isn't going to be a blanket for all companies, but like, what what are those pillars? I'm putting you on the spot. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Seriously, putting me on the spot. So I mean, so I mean, number one is is the assholes. So like that is like the the first and foremost. Um, you know, we've we've talked about ownership and accountability um, as as two other uh, pillars. Um, the the fourth is is that we support each other to be better. So like, you know, as a company, one of the things that we look for and one of the things that we require is that our team's not, you know, just accountable and has ownership for themselves, but also like, how are we supporting other people in the organization to be able to do better? So you don't just have an obligation to succeed in your area, but to help your teammates succeed in theirs. And the last is, is innovation you know, like innovation and authorship. So at certain, if you have an idea, like, let's do it, you know, like, let's, let's work through it. Let's have the conversation. And um, also, if you have a new way of doing things, like, you can write the book, you know, you can change the world. Um, and, you know, that's another area that that is, is important to us, because we can't just rely on me or Owen or Evan, or, you know, my, my technical co founders, Chris Curtis, Dan and Will, who are also like the most amazing people in the world. Like we can't rely on us to have all of the ideas all the time. You know, some of the best ideas come from the people working directly with our customers every day, or, you know, the ones that are fixing the code that, um, you know, that like in testing, there's, there's so many great people with ideas. So that's, you know, that's another key part of our culture. Very cool. And I will mention we have quite a few CERN employees as we're broadcasting this episode live on LinkedIn who are coming in to confirm that they agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. It, it makes sense. It's, you know, it's hard to really visualize what this looks like in action, I think, until you start putting it in action at your company. Um, but But it feels like what it comes down to is, you know, you value your employees, you value their voice and you listen to them and you allow them to have that stake in the company and that stake in the culture and that stake in the decision process, which makes everybody feel empowered and trusted. And like you said, like that's the best we can hope for is to, you know, have that feeling of trust, enjoy who we're working with and work toward our goals. Exactly. I mean, they're my friends. It like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's basic, you know, human instinct that you, you know, you want to help your friends. And it's, I've been so, I've, I'm so fortunate that like in the last year, 
I've, I've been able to add like a hundred plus new friends to my roster and, you know, get to experience a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of new things with a whole bunch of amazing people from all over the place. And for those that live near, you know, now that things are opening up, like, you know, we get to go mountain biking and play soccer and, you know, do all this, this cool stuff that I hope to, you know, be able to get the whole team back together as soon as the borders open, you know, to, to put some faces to, you know, people we've seen on the screen. Cause I still do believe like, even though we're remote, there's still something about like, you know, being face to face with someone and doing something other than like, you know, like we talk socially, but yeah. like, and we, and we game like, uh, for, for the holidays last year, we gave everyone Oculuses so that we could, you know, we could wow. game together, which is cool. So we've, a bunch of us have met in, uh, in virtual reality. Oh my gosh. Wow. How did but, we not start the conversation with this? You have a yeah, virtual just, reality office. It's, it's, it's like, it's, you know, I'm, 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 I'm ditching the camera here for a second, but you know, like, so we all, we all got some of these so that wow. we could, uh, you know, we could, we could get together virtually. Um, you know, a lot of the games as well, we're, it started with ping pong and then got some, like, got pretty aggressive into some, like, you know, other first person shooter games, which may not be so good for culture, but you know, everyone's having a good time. Um, but yeah, that cool things that like you can do as a remote first company to bring your, bring your people together. Cause that's, yeah. that's what we've all needed. I mean, especially like here in Canada, the borders aren't open. We're finally allowed to go back to restaurants. Like we yeah. just all needed that, that social interaction. Oh, I know people are hungry for it. And it's, it's nice. You know, the toughest thing is finding that balance between the flexibility of remote and actually like making those human connections, virtual reality. First time I've heard of that one, but I love it. Another example, I hosted a webinar last week on mental health in the workplace and the director of culture at HubSpot joined that one. And uh, they were talking a bit about um, a lot, like allowing teams to book like a week at a hotel and they utilize the office space at the hotel. Like there's a lot of interesting ways to kind of go about that, to still have that balance there and still give the employees that time to, you know, be together if they want to, like if that's going to add value and, and help their job. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, mental health is a critical part of, of culture. And, you know, making sure that your team is supporting that is, is really important. And a hotel stay is costs nothing compared to, you know, the, what could be if, you know, you don't address that because totally an easy way to lose someone. Yeah, exactly. Well, that pretty much brings us um, to the 45 minute mark, but it's been very cool to learn about certain's culture. Uh, Really, yeah, really interesting stuff. I think that there's a lot that we can learn out there. And, you know, every company culture is going to be different. But I think that there's a lot of, you know, foundational aspects of how you hire at certain that it just makes a lot of sense that that's how you can retain these really good employees, upskill them, make them happy. And also just, you know, make sure things aren't lost throughout the ranks, like make sure that we're listening to everybody and everybody does have a voice because that's you, you don't get that everywhere. It's true. I mean, I think the key takeaway for me is like, you can build a big company and you can do exciting things while still having fun. <laughs> like there's, there's, it can be hard. That's, that's fine. But it, you know, you got to enjoy the people that you're doing with and you got to make sure that, you know, that's across all levels. And as you bring on managers who are also hiring, 
you want to make sure that, that that trickles down and that your what you've built as a founder or you know as a senior executive that continues on and that you're enjoying it at all levels of the company because so cool you get so much energy from it i mean, i don't know if you can tell but i'm like i've got so much energy because i just i love what i do and the people i do it with so it, thanks for thanks for letting me uh spread some joy today yeah this is awesome. it definitely comes across and anybody out there who's listening to this on demand um in the podcast app just head over to uh, workables linkedin just check out the comments section if you're looking for some social proof on whether or not this works, because I think we have about a dozen testimonials in there. So yeah, thanks so much for sharing. Really, really cool stuff. Thanks for having me. This is great. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to hit subscribe wherever you are to stay up to date with our new episodes. And in the meantime, head on over to the Workable blog at resources.workable.com and check out our vast resource library. And if you're looking for a better way to hire, just reach out. We'd love to help.